Good morning. Uh, my name is Bryce Hales, and I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. It's great to see you this morning. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue Bible on the ground near you, and um, you can find Acts chapter 2 on page 910, 911 in, uh, in one of those blue Bibles, or uh, you're welcome to simply listen as I, as I read God's Word. We have been in a series uh, these last several weeks um, that we're, we're actually finishing next Sunday, um, called Called Out, which is really just a look at what does the church, uh, what does the Bible say is true about the church? Uh, the word church in Greek is the word ekklesia, and it simply means called out. We are the ones who God has called out to be his followers in the world, and yet we're not making things up as we go. We are, uh, we are following God as he calls us. And so this morning we are going to, appropriately enough, look at the sacraments. So let me invite you to stand with me if you're able and willing, and we are going to read Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 37. For context, um, this, this passage is describing what takes place on the day of Pentecost. This is after Jesus' resurrection, and he has ascended into heaven, and uh, the Holy Spirit comes 50 days later on the, on the day of Pentecost. And a crowd is gathered, and as the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, the crowd says, what in the world is going on? And the only explanation is for the Apostle Peter to stand up and explain the gospel, the good news that Jesus lived and died and rose again on our behalf. And they say, what should we do? Well, let me pick up there in verse 37. It says this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God, our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh God, we pray that you would uh, meet with us, that as we pause in the midst of our busy lives to give our attention to your word this morning, that we wouldn't simply hear my words, but we would hear uh, your word, Father, that you would make Jesus real to us by the power of your spirit as we think together about these sacraments, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. Those of you who uh, know me know that I have a weakness for food. Um, I, I have come to just embrace this reality that I love food. I love to eat good food. And over the past year or so, my love for food has actually uh, helped me start cooking. I, I never really cooked before. I mean, I could get by. Um, I can survive. But I've really begun to enjoy cooking good food. I love to... Uh, to uh, grill steaks, 
Uh, I tried my hand at baking pizzas. Uh, I really like to braise food, which is, is amazing. Um, but my favorite thing to cook, uh, I, that I've come to cook in the last year or so, is homemade pasta. And I, I love, and if you've never had homemade fresh pasta, you, you won't understand this, because if you just eat that stuff out of the box dry, it just does not compare uh, with, with what you can do with homemade pasta. But the thing I love about homemade <laughs> pasta is this. You take a few eggs, and you take some flour, and a little bit of salt, and a tiny bit of olive oil, and you kind of just knead it together, and you make dough. And you then roll it out, and it takes forever. And then you cook it, and you, and you have this simple, beautiful meal. I mean, it costs almost nothing to make. And yet I love, often on my day off, I'll cook dinner for our family. And my favorite thing to make is not this overly elaborate thing, but a simple meal of homemade pasta and red sauce that I spend like the afternoon cooking. Uh, it's just so simple and so beautiful and so tasty. And I love it. And this morning, as we're talking about the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, it reminded me of making pasta because there is this simplicity and there's this beauty about the sacraments. Uh, there's not a whole lot going on. Somebody even on my way in this morning said, I'm really excited to see how you guys do baptism. I said, it's just really simple. And yet in the simplicity, there is a beauty. And what I really want you to hear this morning, if nothing else, is this, that it's um, in the sacraments, what God is doing is he is taking some very simple elements. He's taking the water of baptism. He's taking the bread and the wine of communion, and he's doing something incredibly beautiful with them. The word sacraments, if you look for it in the Bible, you won't find it because the word sacraments isn't, isn't actually in the Bible. It's not a word the Bible uses, but it's come down to us through church history, and it's a word that we use to explain what the Bible clearly lays out for us, that there are two sacraments of baptism uh, and communion or the Lord's Supper, or sometimes it's called the Eucharist in certain traditions. And uh, these two sacraments were instituted by Jesus, and uh, Jesus himself uh, practiced both of them. Um, and they were practiced in the early church, and then the, the church was kind of given them as gifts and instructed to, to continue to observe the sacraments. And so for 2,000 years now, Christians have been people who enter the church through baptism and are who, who are renewed in their faith through the Lord's Supper. Uh, these two sacraments that were both referenced there uh, in that passage I read a minute ago in Acts chapter 2, uh, communicate God's grace to us in tangible ways. And sadly, it seems like there's a lot of confusion around the sacraments. There's a lot of, in some ways, you might even say controversy around the sacraments. Uh, for some of us, maybe it feels like uh, we just don't understand what they mean. Uh, like, we, we don't understand what the point is of the sacraments. And so um, maybe we wonder... Uh, if, you know, when we come to take the Lord's Supper, maybe we wonder if we're doing it right or if we're getting uh, out of it what we should. And maybe, maybe there's a temptation to wonder, like, I wonder if everybody else is getting something different out of this than I am because maybe I don't fully understand what's going on um, in the sacraments. For some of us, maybe the sacraments seem like empty religious rituals. You know, sure, they bring the family together and friends together for uh, baptism from time to time. But they're just kind of pretty rites, religious rites. Do they really do anything? Does it really matter? Or maybe we can take communion and, 
as we're doing it, we try to remember that Jesus died for us, and then we leave and we go about the rest of our uh, days and our lives and our weeks, and we wonder, does it make any difference at all? What difference does taking the Lord's Supper on a Sunday morning make to what I'm doing in work at my work on Wednesday afternoon or parenting my children on Friday night? Some of us get lost in the theological controversy about the, the sacraments, especially with regard to baptism, although there's been controversy about the Lord's Supper, too, um, throughout church history. You know, who should be baptized, and at what age, and, and how should they be baptized? Should they be dunked, or sprinkled, or poured, or some other conceivable, I don't know, way to do it. And so this morning, um, I'm interested in talking... Uh, I, I'm not really interested in talking about the debates that Christians have amongst ourselves about the nature of the sacraments as much as I'm interested in helping you see the beauty of the sacraments. Uh, the simplicity and the beauty of the sacraments instituted by Jesus because my hunch is that maybe many of us have been eating like boxed mac and cheese all of our lives. And uh, I told some friends not too long ago, I've never eaten boxed mac and cheese in my life. They didn't believe me but with that powder that can't even be like an organic substance. And we serve that to our children, and we think that that's a meal, and what I want you to do is maybe get a taste of homemade pasta. Simple and beauty, beautiful. The sacraments are simple and beautiful. Um, so I want you to see three things that the Bible teaches us about the nature of the sacraments. And the first thing is this, the sacraments are beautiful because the sacraments give us our identity. The sacraments shape our identity as, as Christians. Uh, who are you? Who are you? How do you answer that question? Or I like to ask people, um, what's your story? And they said, what do you mean? I said, I, the, the question was deliberately ambiguous. I want to hear you say whatever it is that you say about yourself. What defines you? The first way that the sacraments shape our identity we see in baptism is that in the sacrament of baptism, what God is doing is he is putting his name upon us. In the sacrament of baptism, it is not so much about you coming to God and saying, God, I'm going to be faithful to you, as it is God coming to you and saying, God saying that he will be faithful to you. When you were baptized, you were cleansed with water, perhaps a greater amount, perhaps a lesser amount, of water, but when you were baptized, the person who was baptizing you said what you just saw me say. Water was applied to your head, and your name was spoken, and, and somebody said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What in the world does that actually mean? <laughs> because my hunch is that for many of us, it seems a little bit like abracadabra, like a magic formula where we're just saying something and, and we've kind of forgotten what it means, but think about what does it mean that God puts his name upon you? What's happening in baptism is that God is bringing you into his family and he's putting the family name upon you. When uh, Tanner was born, uh, Chad and Alita, I'm sure, probably spent a lot of time talking about what is his name going to be? You know, why, what, what is his first name? What is his middle name? I love the fact that his middle name is Alan because my middle name is Alan. Um, I've never said that publicly before. Nobody knew what my middle name was. Um, closely guarded secrets out of the bag. Um, 
I'm sure they spent a lot of time talking about his first and middle name, but you know what there would be no debate about is, what's his last name? Are we going to call him Tanner Smith or Tanner Jones? Uh, there was no need to look through a list of la books of last names and decide what to call him, right? Because he was born as a pregazer. And there's uh, a blessing of being a pregazer. And so there was no doubt that his name was going to be Tanner Pregazer because that is who he is. And being a pregazer is going to shape him in certain ways, in beautiful ways, in wonderful ways throughout his life. But there was never any doubt because that's who he is. It shapes everything about him. And friends, in your baptism, you are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is putting his name on you. You have been adopted into God's family. Uh, you have been marked out as belonging to God. These are not empty words. This is not a magic formula. This is God putting his name on you and adopting you into, uh, adopting you as his child. Yes, you are the child of God, but you are adopted into the family of God. This crazy dysfunctional family that we call the church, that God calls the church. That's who you are. And what this means is this, that if you are in Christ and you have been baptized, who you are is you are beloved by God. In Jesus' baptism, all the way back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, we read that what happens is Jesus goes to get baptized by John the Baptist, and as he goes uh, to be baptized, he's baptized by John the Baptist, and it says that when that happens, the heavens tear open, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and the voice of the Father says, This is my Son, who I love. You are my beloved Son. And when Jesus, at the end of his ministry, goes to the cross and he suffers the humiliating and agonizing death of, uh, of death on a cross, what's happening there is Jesus is exchanging places with you. And so he is giving you his perfect record of obedience, his perfect record of righteousness. Not just his never doing anything wrong, but his perfectly obeying the law of God. And he is taking from you, as he gives you his record, he is taking from you your record, uh, your failure to be the person that God calls you to be, your failure to even be the person that you would want to be. He is exchanging places for, with you. And what that means, friends, is this, that whatever God says of Jesus, he now says of you. Because you have been adopted, just, uh, you've been adopted into the family of God. You are an adopted son and daughter of God. And so God looks upon his adopted children exactly the same as he looks upon his, his son, Jesus. And so when God looks at you, if you are in Christ and you have a family name put upon you, you are beloved just like Jesus. Uh, you are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are beloved by God. You are the one with whom God is well pleased. So the question then is, what does that really have to do with baptism? Now, we live in a time when spirituality, we think that spirituality is all about our feelings. And the reality, friends, is that in the course of normal life, our feelings ebb and flow. And for Christians, it's no different. You know, the, the, our feelings about God, um, you know, are like a roller coaster. Sometimes we're on top of the world. Sometimes we are 
down in the depths. Sometimes we struggle with anxiety, with depression, with self-doubt. And if as a Christian you believe that your standing before God is dependent on the way that you feel about God in any given moment, then your life will just be a spiritual roller coaster. But what happens in baptism is this. God has placed his name upon you, and he calls you beloved in an objective way. This is something that has happened at a point in history. For the rest of his life, Tanner, even if he doesn't remember it, can be reminded that there was a place, there was a people who witnessed God putting his name upon me. And what that means is that just as there are moments where every child says, you know, looks at your parent and says, I hate you. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. There is an objectivity to what it means to be a member of the covenant of God, the family of God, that Tanner can look to and we can look to our baptism as something that God has objectively done in our lives regardless of what I feel like it uh, what, what I feel like at the moment. Martin Luther, uh, kind of the, the, the leader of the uh, Protestant Reformation, um, was prone to depression. And often in those moments of depression, the way he described it was that he, he felt like he was being attacked by the devil himself. And supposedly there is a place um, at a castle in Germany where Martin Luther... Uh, feeling like he was in the throes of depression, being attacked by the devil himself, took his pot of ink and threw it against the wall in protest against the devil. And what was his defense? His defense said, uh, he said, I have been baptized. Now that strikes us as really weird, doesn't it? What would our baptism have to do uh, with defending us against the devil? But what Martin Luther is saying is this. He's saying, I belong to God, and therefore you have no claim on me, devil. Or I could maybe put it like this. Have you ever had a dream like this? Sometimes I have a dream where, kind of an anxious nightmare, where I am dreaming that it's the last day of college and it's finals week, and I can't find the class where I'm supposed to go. And I'm anxiously running around, and I'm looking for where I'm supposed to take this final because... I'm afraid that I'm going to flunk out of college. And I wake up in the middle of this dream and kind of like, I know it's over, but that anxiety is still in my body and I'm nervous until I remember, oh yeah, I already graduated from college. And maybe it sounds crazy, but you know, there's a place in my, room, in my house where I could go and look at my college diploma. It's hanging on the wall. It doesn't matter what I feel about it at the moment. In your baptism, God has marked you out as belonging to him. Your baptism is your diploma. It is proof that you belong to God, even if you don't always feel like it. Baptism shapes our identity. Friends, if your identity has not been formed by God, it will be formed by something else. And if you go out into the world uh, to find yourself, you will latch on to anything and everything to give you meaning in life. But if you have heard the voice of God say, you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you, I'm pleased with you. Because of Jesus, you are mine and I have marked you out as belonging to me in baptism. Then you will go into the world already full, not looking to others to tell you who you are. And because you are already full, because God has called you beloved, 
you can go out into the world uh, to bring meaning to others, not to seek it for yourself. Baptism shapes our identity, but the Lord's Supper also shapes our identity. I'm going to try to be briefer about this, but uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul reminds us of the words of Jesus when he instituted the Lord's Supper on the night before he was betrayed, or the night that he was betrayed, where he says that uh, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood shed for you. But then the Apostle Paul, well, and then he says, do this in remembrance of me, but the Apostle Paul adds these words. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And what that means is that the Lord's Supper is a reminder that you are a part of a story that is going somewhere. You are a part of a story that is going somewhere. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we are God's people, that we are living cross-shaped lives now. Everything about our lives is influenced by the cross of Jesus And we are heading towards a destination where Jesus will return and we will feast with him. And in that feast, we will finally be satisfied. We will finally be satisfied when everything will be made right. I was trying to explain to my wife just a couple days ago um, that one day I could actually own a Porsche. Um, And the the way that this whole thing came about was my dad just... um, got rid of his old car and he had had a BMW that he drove for like 20 years and when he when he went to trade it in they told him it's worth $200 which stinks for my dad but I'm putting the math together and I'm like well hold on now like there's a scenario then in which I could maybe get a Porsche for $200 or at least maybe a couple thousand if it's old enough and I'm explaining this all this like a um, thing to my, you know, my, my kids know this game that we play, like the game as we're driving, like, if you could have any car in the world, what car would you have? And they all know that dad's answer is, I would have a Porsche. And I've never actually driven a Porsche, but I know that if I did, it would make me happy forever. And so <laughs> I'm explaining all of this to my wife, that like in a couple of years, probably I'm going to be able to buy at least like a used Porsche. And, um, and she's just looking at me like with a blank face. And then she says, you are never going to drive a Porsche. And I'm like, no, but seriously, like I could probably get one for under $10,000. And she's like, Bryce, you're a pastor, and it doesn't matter what it costs, but you can never drive a Porsche. And my dreams were crushed. (laughs) The Lord's Supper shapes our identity by showing us that we are part of a story that is moving towards a climax. All of human history is moving towards the point when Jesus will return. And he will bring us to a feast. And at that feast you will be known, and you will be loved, and you will be cared for, and you will be fed, and you will be satisfied. You will be satisfied because we really think, I know a Porsche isn't going to satisfy me, but I sure want to try it out. And we really think, don't we, that these good things... um, that we buy will bring us satisfaction or the next promotion or when we get married or if we had better sex or if we lost a few pounds or whatever it is and God says come to me in Isaiah 55 God says come to me you who are poor come to me you who have no money come to me because I'm going to give to you food and wine come to me I'm going to satisfy you with rich food I love rich food. 
That's what God is saying to us. I will satisfy you. We live in a world that says you've got to make a name for yourself, so don't listen to what anybody else says about you. Your identity is up to you. You must shape it for yourself, and that seems like freedom until it's not. Until it's not. And God comes along and says to us gently, how is that working out for you? How's that working out for you? I love you. I've come to find you. I've sent my son to live for you, to die for you. Let me satisfy you. I will put my name on you in baptism. I will feed you in communion. The sacraments are beautiful because they shape our identity. But secondly, the sacraments are beautiful because they welcome us into community. The sacraments welcome us into community. And we see this again in both baptism and communion. In fact, it's even implied in the name communion, right? Um, they welcome us into community. In Acts 2, the passage I read uh, a few minutes ago, we, we read that in the life of the early church, as people trust in Jesus and come to see him, not just as this man who lived a great life and then was tragically killed, but that he's actually God come in the flesh who lived and died and rose again on our behalf. As people, people are awakened to who he is and put their trust in him, that they don't simply uh, live lives as individual Christians, but that they are welcomed into the community of Jesus, the church, through baptism. And in 1 Corinthians 11, it's so funny, the, 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 this letter of 1 Corinthians, like, if you read it, Paul is so frustrated with this church. And part of the reason he's so frustrated with this church is because the way that they're taking communion is all about how it makes me feel as an individual. In the life of this church in Corinth, there were rich Christians and, and, and poor Christians, and the poor Christians had to work on Sunday, and so they got to church late. And the rich Christians would just go ahead and take communion without him because it's all about me and Jesus. Who are you to slow me down? And Paul says, no, you have to wait for each other because communion is not just about you and Jesus, but it's about you and Jesus and his people, about the church. This is why when we baptize people, uh, we don't go down to the beach and baptize you with your friends and nobody else or in somebody's pool. But we baptize people in the church because this is about the community of God, the church, the people of God. And this is why uh, when we take the Lord's Supper here at Resurrection OC, we come forward in groups because we're not just meeting with God, me, and Jesus as an individual. Uh, but it's about God joining us together as his people. We do this together. Imagine, imagine this. Um, imagine that there's a person who's living in Canada, a Canadian. And uh, this person is studying history. And as they, as they study history and as they're reading, they read about the United States and the founding fathers and you know, the, the history of the 13 colonies. And, and uh, this Canadian decides as they're reading history, they say, I really like, I really like the United States. And so there, in their own room, they make a decision to become an American. But they never leave Canada. They never come to the United States. They never go through the, you know, take, uh, making promises and being sworn in as United States citizens. They just live in Canada, and they, they think of themselves as, as an American. That would be very strange to us, wouldn't it? We might say, you know, no disrespect, and does it make you feel uncomfortable that I'm talking about Canadians and Americans at all? 
I don't know. But um, we would say to that person, like, we don't mean to be disrespectful to you. And you can be, uh, you can, like, appreciate the United States of America, but if you're going to be an American, you're going to have to actually leave and come to the place where the Americans actually live and, and go through this rite of initiation and becoming a citizen. That makes sense to us, but sadly, that's what many Christians, uh, that's what many of us think it means to be a Christian. I made a decision on my own. But being a Christian means becoming, uh, by, by, it means be, being welcomed into the community of God's people, the church, through baptism. And that might not sound like a big deal to you because we live in such an individualistic age, but friends, our individualism is killing us. Literally, I, I don't know if you're a regular here, you, you hear me say this a lot, but... Um, new reports come out every month that, that indicate that we are lonelier and lonelier than we have ever been. Um, the biggest health risk to middle-aged men in our country is loneliness. I uh, was talking with family friends recently who had, um, they've been living in Colorado, but they recently moved to Los Angeles, and uh, we were catching up and uh, found out that they had moved back to Colorado after only 18 months here, and I said, what, what's going on? I said, we couldn't make any friends. It was so lonely. And the sacraments are about God taking people who would never get along in the world and making us a community. I mean, when I look around this world, uh, this room, rather, I, I mean, I see, like, I knew one family in this room four years ago. We would never have anything to do with each other if it wasn't for the church. And the church people get along who can never get along outside of the church. Do you know what the word uh, Christian, where the word Christian comes from? I mean, Christian, Christ one, follower of Jesus. But why is that the word that was used for people who follow Jesus? Interesting thing is that the earliest uh, kind of phrase for people who followed Jesus, uh, they were called the way. The believers were called the way. And... Um, Jesus was a Jewish man. The earliest believers were Jews. And uh, as the good news of the resurrection of Jesus began to spread, people became believers. But it was all happening within, in the kind of the context of an ethnically Jewish uh, people. And so the way was emerging as like a, a sect of Judaism that just happened to believe that this Messiah was actually the Messiah. And then as the gospel goes out into the Roman Empire... Uh, and, and, and begins to, uh, people who are not Jewish become Christians, something really strange happens. And in, in, in Acts chapter 11, the gospel comes to a city called Antioch. And um, in Antioch, Antioch, uh, the, the Romans were always trying to figure out how to keep the uh, different people groups in the Roman Empire from fighting with each other all the time. And so when they built Antioch, they built it as like a segregated city where there were walls that would separate, I guess, ghettos of different racial ethnicities. And so people would live at peace because they would only live with people who looked like them and spoke the same language as them. And in Acts chapter 11, there's this strange phrase um, where it says that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And the reason for that is this, when the gospel came, to Antioch, people began leaving their ghettos and climbing over walls to be together because the gospel was transcending racial ethnic language barriers. And so they had to invent a new word because this new way of life isn't just for Jewish people, it's for everybody. The Christians were first called Christians in Antioch 
because people could get along in the church who can never get along outside the world. And the sacraments welcome us into this community. The sacraments welcome us into community, but listen, friends, the sacraments don't welcome us into community. Like, the community of the church doesn't um, look the way that it does on TV, like in Friends, or, um, you know, people always talk about CrossFit. You know how you can tell if somebody goes to CrossFit? Because they tell you. Uh, I haven't done CrossFit in a long time, you can tell by looking at me. But uh, I've been a part of like four or five different CrossFit gyms, and everybody says the great thing about CrossFit is the community. And I mean, maybe it's because I'm a Christian and I've been a part of a church. I've never been a part of a CrossFit gym where there's community around anything greater than CrossFit. And so the community of the church is messy. Uh, it's hard. It means we show up for each other instead of bailing at the last minute. It means that we have the hard conversation instead of just ghosting each other. Um, we raise our children together and for each other, and we bury each other's parents. In the church, we bring meals when babies are born, and we bring meals when jobs are lost. Friends, we are dying for community, and community is beautiful, but it is difficult. And the sacraments welcome us into community. And so what that means for you this morning is this, you are not alone. Or at least you don't have to be alone. I mean, one of, the, one of the tragedies I see as a pastor is somebody who does not have to be alone, refusing to participate in community. That's a tragedy. The church is not for perfect people, and we certainly don't do community perfectly. But the church is God's new humanity. It's for you, because God doesn't call us spiritually elite, he calls you, he calls me. He calls us to be his family. The sacraments welcome us into community, and therefore the sacraments create a welcoming community. I want to read you a quote that uh, I found recently. Apparently this was on the website of a church in Arkansas. And it's called, it just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing on their website that says, you're welcome at our church. I always think it's funny when you drive by a sign in a church, it says, you know, worship at 10 a.m., all welcome. I think that is like the least welcoming way to welcome people. It just doesn't make me feel welcome, but listen to this. This is a little bit longer, but it's good. This church says this, all are welcome here, but we want to extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, or divorced. Filthy, rich, dirty, poor, yo no hablo ingles. We extend a special welcome to those of you who are crying newborn, skinny as a rail, or could afford to lose a few pounds. We welcome you if you can sing like Andrea Bocelli or like our pastor who can't carry a note in a bucket. You're welcome here if you're just browsing, just woke up, or just got out of jail. We don't care. We don't care if you're more Catholic than the Pope or haven't been in church since little Joey's baptism. We extend a special welcome to those who are over 60 but not grown up yet, and to teenagers who are growing up way too fast. We welcome soccer moms, NASCAR dads, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarians, junk food eaters. We welcome those who are in recovery or those who are still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems or you're down in the dumps or if you don't like organized religion. We've been there too. You're welcome if you blew all your offering money at the dog track. 
We offer a special welcome to those who think the earth is flat. Work too hard, don't work, can't spell, or because grandma is in town and wanted to go to church somewhere. We welcome those who are inked, pierced, or both. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now, had religion shoved down your throat as a kid, or got lost in traffic and wound up here by mistake. We welcome tourists, seekers, doubters, bleeding hearts, in short, we welcome you. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that sound great? Why do I read that? Because, friends, the reality is that you and I are currently sitting in a place that was designed and built to oppose that way of life. Like, literally, that's what I mean. And I live in Ladera Ranch, so don't get too offended. But, like, this place was built to keep people with problems out. You're welcome here as long as you keep your mess to yourself. There is nowhere to be homeless in Ladera Ranch. In Ladera Ranch, we might not believe in big government, but we believe in big HOA. <laughs> we want the HOA to take care of us. And I'm not saying that to throw resurrection, or to throw Ladera Ranch under the bus, but to simply say, Resurrection OC, we are God's new humanity for this place. And my hunch is that as I read that really long list of people who tend not to feel welcome at church, that there were one or two labels I mentioned where you're like, well, I mean, just out of jail, come on. Democrats, Andrea Bocelli fans, I mean, come on, what is the world coming to? Whatever it is, you're like, what? And that is not who we are. But you can't live in a place like this without it sometimes rubbing off on you, and you can't live in a place like this in South Orange County without it sometimes chewing you up and spitting you out. And we are here for you. We are here for you, period. I'm not saying that to throw anybody under the bus. This is who we are. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is, lists a similar list of people who would tend not to find a church a welcoming place. And he goes through this list of people that would never expect to be welcome at church, and then he says this, And such were some of you. This is who you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, through your baptism, you were washed, you were brought into the church of God. You are welcome here. Finally, briefly, the sacraments are beautiful because the sacraments are signs and seals of God's grace. And the sacraments, what we see is that God initiates, God comes to us. Uh, have you ever considered the fact that you do not baptize yourself? Uh, you don't even really take communion yourself. You, you, you are served communion. I don't even serve myself communion. Um, even as I serve you communion, I wait for somebody else to serve me. And what that is a picture of is simply that God, God is the one who pursues us with his grace. That's what the sacraments are all about. God is the one who initiates. The sacraments are signs and they are seals. A few years ago in Welland, Welland Ontario in Canada, uh, one day pink heart signs began popping up all around the town. Uh, these small signs of just 
stakes in the ground with a pink heart on it began popping, around, popping up around town. And people began to wonder what was going on, and nobody could really know who was doing this or figure out what they meant. There were just these pink pieces of, you know, cardstock or whatever, pink signs. And so the local newspaper, the Welland Tribune, assigned a reporter named Marianne Firth to go and investigate. And she began to investigate, but she didn't make much progress until a few days later, some more signs began to pop up. And near each of these pink signs, another sign was placed that had a date and a location. And it was a few weeks out, and so Marianne Firth uh, said, okay, well, at least then I'll be able to go and get some answers. And so on a Sunday afternoon in April, a few years ago, she showed up at the time and place, hoping to uncover the mystery, and she got to a park. And a crowd of maybe 60 other curious people had showed up at this park. And when they got to the park, they saw a man in a suit who had a box over his head. And he began to walk around handing out flowers to everybody who was gathered there. And he gave flowers to everybody in the crowd, including to this reporter who was there. And then he gathered up the, the, uh, the, the rest of the flowers that he had, and he gave them all to Marianne Firth. And then he got down on his knee. And he took the box off of his head. And it was her boyfriend. And he proposed to her. And she said yes. And then she had to go home and write this story. <laughs> but the point is this. He knew that if she followed the signs, they would lead her to him. Friends, the sacraments are the signs that will lead you to God himself. The sacraments do not save you. God saves you. And it's as you uh, experience baptism, as you taste the Lord's Supper, that God communicates his saving grace to you. Where is the power of the sacraments? Why are they necessary? Uh, why not just have preaching? Or why not in our world, like there's so many more interesting and novel and exciting things that we could do. Why just these simple sacraments? Friends, we need the sacraments because we are prone to weakness and frailty. We are just flesh and bones. And so God communicates to us in a way that is suited to our senses. So we don't just hear God's word, but we taste and we see that he is good. A few weeks ago, my wife was out of town for a few days, and uh, obviously we didn't see each other. And yet we texted, we talked on the phone. And I was thinking, you know, in some ways, we probably talked on the phone. I mean, we had the same, like, volume of communication that we might have in a, in a normal day and the busyness of life and work and raising kids. You know, there are a couple days off, often go by where we hardly sit down to talk to each other. And so we were still doing that. And yet when we went to pick her up at the airport, we all, uh, you know, me and the kids ran in and hugged her and we said, I missed you. Because there is something about being physically present with someone that is lost, even when you continue to hear their words. As somebody has said, the sacraments are like God's body language. They're God actually coming to us, not just speaking at us. I'll finish with this. I remember the feeling as a brand new parent heading home from the hospital for the first time. With a brand new newborn baby, strapping him in the car seat for the first time, driving off. You know when they, you have a child in the hospital now, they put like, they call it baby low jack. It's like, you feel like you're in a prison for a couple of days. 
And then they finally let you leave and you put the kid in the car and you just drive off. And I remember thinking like, they're just gonna let me do this? <laughs> like, where's the manual? And um, I remember feeling the weight of the responsibility of being a parent. And what am I gonna do and how am I gonna raise this child? But friends, what I discovered is that, especially in those early days, Though it's incredibly hard, parenting is really not that complicated. It's very simple. What does a loving parent give their newborn? You bathe them and you feed them. And friends, that's what God does for us. In baptism, he, he bathes us. In the Lord's Supper, he nourishes us, he feeds us. That's why the sacraments are simple and beautiful. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your life and for your death and for your resurrection. And we thank you that you have ascended into heaven and sent your spirit to apply your work to our hearts. And we thank you that you've given us these tangible, objective realities that we can look to as signs that, that you love us. That it doesn't depend on our feelings, it depends on the work of Jesus. And so we can look back to our baptism. We can look to the Lord's Supper to be reminded of your grace. We pray that you would help us um, as we continue in the life of our church to walk forward knowing that you are more than enough. And because you have shaped us into the people that we are and given us uh, our identity, we can go out not looking to the world to give us meaning, but to bring meaning into the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.